Today's podcast, we have Nick Bailey, CEO, the global CEO of all of Remax. This is part two from last year's podcast. You do not want to miss it. He says fascinating things about the residential real estate industry and where we are heading. Nick Bailey, I'm surprised you came back for part two of the pod. Last year, I thought, and, and we interviewed Spencer Askoff. We interviewed um, Sean Black. We interviewed a bunch of these of these really, and the, those are people you've worked with. Yeah. Your time is still. Yeah. Just really. Friends with all of them. Yeah. High level CEOs. This was our favorite one. You know, some of the highlights. Come on. Yeah. No, I'm not saying that. One. Bobby can, can attest that that's just not true. Um, I think you called something before a lot of people started using your quote. Agents have become order takers, referring to the prior two years, and we've certainly seen that quote get elevated over this last year. A lot of people have used that. I hmm. think you were ahead of the curve on that. I think you're right on that and how agents need to adjust. And we just we just literally walked out of T360 and listening to Andy Florence and his thoughts of the industry co-star, CEO of 38 years, and we'll kind of, that'll tie in somewhere here in this conversation, the order takers, and then where he sees uh, agents going. First, I, I want to ask you where the industry is going, because I saw you on a panel of four other CEOs today, mm-hmm. and, you know, Stefan Swanepoel, he does such a great job at this event. He does. He was kind of saying, hey, you know, this industry is kind of like a family. It's, you know, like we all have known each other for decades, decades, and some would sit back and say, maybe that's the problem with the industry, where it's been a good old boys club or good old boys and few girls club for many years, it's been the same faces, certainly with NAR. You can look at NAR and it's, it's the same faces outside of the CEO that rotates um, in NAR. You're kind of the new face in the CEO block, I mean, not in the industry, but you know, on that level. How much change do you think is coming at the top of the industry, NAR and in the brokerage? Because I think Stefan had it right. It is like a family, but maybe an incestual family at times. <laughs> That's an interesting way to put it. Here's how I look at it. What I love about this industry, it's wildly competitive. You and I go after a listing. We'll slice each other's throat to get it. We really will. But once we do, we put our arms around each other and say, hey, do you have a buyer? So, yeah, we are friendly with each other, but we're crazy competitors. And it was funny, something about Stefan when he said, well, it's not as important about being number one, and I interjected, if you recall, and I yeah. said, oh, yes, it is. I love that, because you're the most authentic CEO in the game right now. Well, I appreciate that. Kind of what you see is what you get. But um, So we are wildly competitive, but it is an industry of cooperation that right now there's a deal happening out there that one of our agents may be on the list side and one of their agents is on the buy side. And so I think that's where just the natural cooperation comes in. Mm. But there is a lot of longevity to a lot of people in leadership. Uh, I'll tell you, I think the only reason I had a chance and I saw it about 10 years ago were for two reasons. One, Gen X is basically half the size of the people before us. So I knew that there were going to be a lot of open positions at the top of a lot of companies, not just our industry. Uh, But you saw a lot of people in real estate for a long time. And one of the biggest challenges that this industry has, whether you're an agent, a broker, or run a big brand is succession planning. And I think that's where people should focus more. And not just, I want to be done next year. You need to be thinking of it years out. And so I think because of that, you're seeing people focus more on succession planning. Um, And let's also face it, after the Great Recession, 
there were a lot of very seasoned people that needed one more good market because their mm. retirement was wiped out. True. And so I think that's, that's keeping it real right there. I think that's why we're seeing a pretty big change of leadership in the industry right now. I thought you were going to say they're doing succession planning because of the HBO show. And that that's what I, that's right. That is a good show, by the way. A little creepy at times, but maybe that is why. Maybe you're right. No, no. I think I think you've, you you nailed it. Mark King, who was on the stage with you, number two at Keller Williams. I don't know if you guys have a love hate relationship. There. He's great. No, he's great. We have been paired up. It just seems like in the last year on so many panels. Yeah, and just kind of randomly, we end up there, and we had fun last year at a different uh, different event. And we walk out, and he's walking right behind me, and I sit down, and he's just trying to be a little funny. He starts sitting in my lap, and I said, "What are you doing? You know, stop trying to recruit me." It's a, and, <laughs> yeah, that's a good. Day. And it went on from there, and he said something about, "Oh, Nick, you couldn't work at Keller because you're not something that I wasn't." I said, "Well, of course I couldn't work there because I sell too many houses." I mean, and we just have this natural riff that we go back and forth on each other, but it's really in in a good spirit. Good. And he took, I don't think it was a dig, but, and I, I just wanted your opinion on it because it wasn't addressed on the panel. He said, you know, Nick, you've done a great job as CEO of Remax because Remax was kind of falling behind. And I'm just paraphrasing. I don't have the exact quote that he said. Before you took over as CEO of Remax, a global brand and maybe the most recognizable brand to consumers mm -hmm. when they think real estate brokerage. Right. Did you see that? Did, did did you feel that way? That Remax had taken a step back when you were taking over and that you had to put it back in its place of prominence? I don't think I saw it as a step back, but I'll tell you this. We're celebrating turning 50 this year. Yeah, congrats. And thanks. I mean, it's, it's, it's bittersweet, right? It's awesome that we've been around 50 years and maintain number one brand awareness because you spend years building it. And it means we've seen every side of a market. Like, I'm not afraid of a change in the market. We know how to adapt. Um, we know how to put things in place and and change. If it's buyer, seller, market, whatever, anything in between. Uh, and so that gives us that history that we can fall on when some of these changes happen, which you're seeing a lot of people get out of the business that have only been in it the last couple of years. They didn't build a sustainable business model based on a different market. They built it off 130 consecutive months of run-up in pricing and the most aggressive seller's market we've ever seen. And I think you mentioned last time I talked about agents being order takers. My forecast last January was agents are going to go from burnout to broke. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of that is now coming true. And it's not like I want anything negative to happen to just saw the business. But that's our 50 years. Okay, now let's go to the other side. Of it. It's also tough when you've been around 50 years because you can be interpreted as, as the old guy on the block. And so I, I think it's just part of being around for as long as we have and the c company built being built to the size that it is, uh, that there could be that interpretation. I just know for, for me coming back into it, um, I'm kind of an energetic guy uh, and just go a mile a minute. And so I think maybe, and it's not just me, but I think that some of that leadership and that vision and some of the changes that I see for the company moving forward maybe are trickling throughout the industry and people are feeling it. And maybe feeling like it's some type of invigoration, which I think is wonderful. Uh, but I certainly can't take credit for it by myself. I've, I talked about this a lot last year. And I think it's also coming to fruition where those companies, Remax, 50 years. You look at some private companies like William Ravis is going to celebrate 50 years next year. Or, you know, Howard Hanna, who, you know, was mentioned today. He's been around a long time. Or even Keller Williams, been around, you know, at this point, 
a long time, their ability to navigate what we're experiencing in 2023 and, and what's probably yet to come might outweigh some of the newer, whether it's you know models around how you're actually compensated as the agent or, or just a new flashy model. And you're seeing a lot of agents, and I talk to a lot of team leaders across the country who are like, I thought this was going to be like my ticket to retirement, but I really need to be with the right partner a Nick Bailey or a CEO who has, you know, has the brand behind them that's been through multiple recessions, multiple down markets, and can truly partner in my business. And you're seeing more of that where teams and top producing agents are going back to a brand that they can trust to be their true partner. Are you guys seeing that at Remax? Well, we are. And I think that there's a couple of reasons for that. Like I, I, I kind of made mention that there were some business models. And by the way, I think there's room for every type of quote model in our business. And you said that last year. It's not it's not the same for everyone. But I will say what, what we're seeing right now is a lot of new companies, when they first come into the marketplace um, and startups, they don't have brand. They don't have the recognition. They don't have the scale. They don't have the size that we're fortunate over 50 years we've built. But what, in, what ends up happening is then their value is based on market conditions. And so when things flip as quick as quickly as they did over this last six or eight months, uh, it, they have to wake up and recognize value. And I believe that agents today are not looking to save a hundred bucks a month. They're looking for another transaction. They need another buyer or seller. Just talking to someone last week and they said there was an agent been licensed around 18 months, uh, got licensed uh, July of 21, was so happy. He was like, yes, in 22, I sold 12 houses. I did pretty well. Like I'm on my way. Well, we're coming up to May. Guess how many houses he sold this year? Zero. Yeah. And so the question then was, well, where were your sources? Where was your business coming from last year? He said, well, everywhere. And so there's something fundamental that we have to learn about this, which is look at top producers. The vast majority of their business comes from repeats, referrals, and their sphere. Spheres have been ignored for two years. Used to be on a quarterly basis, agents are doing like the Buffini type stuff. Yeah. Handwritten notes, Popeyes, engaging with their sphere. Your sphere's lonely. They've already forgotten your first name because the last couple of years, everyone's been so frenzied with the market. So re-engage with your sphere and your database. Don't worry about data, worry about your database. And those agents that are, are going to find the business. But I, I equate it to like a, a brand new Chick-fil-A when it opens, right? And the line's out and there's they're direct in traffic to get in. That's what the market was like for two years. We all know that. Well, now the newness has worn off and it doesn't mean people don't want Chick-fil-A anymore, but you got to go find the people that do. Yeah. So buyers and sellers are still out there, but they're just not waving their hands saying, I'm right here. There was a CEO with one of the newer models here last year and said, oh, by this time next year, be three, four, 500,000 people in, in the model. That has failed to come true. And I noticed that at this conference, which happens every year, and you've got the, the high-level CEOs, you tend to see the same faces, but the new models that we know of the last five years, whether it's a you know compensation model for agents or, or just a, a nice flashy brand, none of those CEOs are here this year. And it might be you you might one argument might be they're working on their brand and they they don't have the time, and or or the other one might be they just don't want to face some of the comments they've made the last couple of years. But the tried and true brands they're all still here. Those CEOs are still here. It, it, I just find that interesting. You don't even have to comment on that. I'll let that sit yeah. for everybody that's listening. You, you, you know what brands I'm talking about, but none of those CEOs 
are here and they were all here last year. So when, when markets shift, whether it's consumers, but certainly agents, they're going to want to go to somewhere that's, that's safe. And uh, I think that's been just a little reminiscent what, what's going on in the market with who, who is here. It is, let me just say though, it is yeah. an interesting observation, but I, I think in this business, I mean, you started out by talking about the longevity and some of the same faces and and then they're here. I, so it's, it's I'm, and, I'm talking out of both sides a little bit. You are. Yeah. And, and because I, but I think that that's, that's at the end of the day, the agents that have 20 or 30 year careers in this business, they don't just show up for their clients when things are blowing and going. Yeah. They show up for their clients when it gets tough as well. And so I think those that have the staying power, those are the ones that are going to be around next year, the year after, and 10 years from now. And that's just to me, it's not just about these new brand leaders or new model leaders maybe that aren't here. I think that is absolutely systemic in the industry that you got to show up no matter what the times are. And that's how you stick around. And face the music. And if you had a bad prediction last year, come up and, and this year and say, hey, my prediction was off. And that's where we need each other's help. Yeah. Um, and that's where I think this industry is awesome is you look over and say, as I hear agents, gosh, I had a tough time last year. What are you doing? How, how are right. you being successful? And as competitive as the business is, we found that that's the power of our network. And that's why we get together and have events with our owners, with our agents. They're always willing to say, have you tried this? Because that's what's helping drive my business. Do you see that with some, I mean, you were on the stage with Gino Blafari. I mean, some of the icons, right? Do you, like, like let's just use Gino as, as an example. Yeah. Because um, what I think is so interesting, and the reason I was talking on both sides a little bit, I think Remax is very unique. 50 years, but they put a new face up there, right? Where a lot of the other faces are, you know, have been in one of these power positions for, for decades now. So that's kind of like the outlier. 50 years celebrating with fresh CEO face. Somebody like Gino, been around on it all. Do you collaborate with him the way two team leaders in different markets were? Because you guys are in every market competing. It's no, we're friends and we're friendly. Yeah. Uh, but we certainly don't at the corporate level, at the franchisor level, we're certainly not getting sure. together and saying, <laughs> hey, here's what's working for us to sell more franchises. What's working for you? Yeah. No, no, we do not collaborate at all like that. Um, I think agents do because they're independent contractors. When you're running a large corporation, uh, that doesn't happen. But we certainly um, are friendly together. And Sue Yannickon was another one. I have great respect. She's on stage too. Uh, I was at a different company. Her and I were both there at the same time. Now, we didn't work in the same brand at the time, but we worked collectively next to each other. And so... I think what it comes down to is you realize that some of these people you've worked with before and some of them you may work with in the future, and that's why it's a friendly type of thing. Uh, but I have great respect for my colleagues, but we certainly don't collaborate. We compete more than we, yeah. than we collaborate. Yeah. Which, is, which I think is refreshing because a lot of agents or a lot of new agents coming into the industry right now don't like the word competition. They see real estate sales agent. This is why there's such a, a huge, you know, attrition rate and 87% of agents fail. That's right. It's because they're watching Bravo and it's like, I, I just want to come into this fun industry, control my schedule. And basically I, I don't want to compete with anybody. I don't even like sales. I just want to sell homes. Where at the top, you, you're heavily competing. You're embracing, you know, that level of fight. Yeah. In market share. 
that's is that why agents ultimately lose because they're not willing to fight and go grab it the ones that aren't successful yeah you talk about that 87 percent don't have a license in five years um i think for many they get into the business and it turns out to be different than what it is people say or their expectations yeah i want to set my own hours i want to be my own boss but yet you're not used to not having accountability you don't have someone saying you need to be in the chair here are your KPIs on the stuff that you need to get done. And it's okay. We all need some level of accountability. Uh, so I think that's part of it. Um, but I like to say that when it comes to agents, even in our own network, I can't want their success more than they want it. I tell my kids that as a parent. So I look at my kids and say, I can't want you to get good grades more than you want to get them. Now, I have a little more control over that than I do some of these <laughs> agents, and they get good grades. But uh, that's just the reality. This business isn't meant for everyone. But when you turn on the television and you see it's nice cars, nice handbags, fancy clothes, hanging out with their friends, having margaritas, looks like a pretty cool job, but it's actually a lot of hard work. Um, and you're running your own business. Not everybody is meant to run their own business. It's a lot of hard work. Somebody that's working hard to disrupt it is Andy Florence. And he's the CEO of CoStar, 38 years. I couldn't, when he said that on stage today that he's number four on S&P uh, companies, for tenure of mm -hmm. you know being the CEO, I mean he's he's founder and CEO, right? Uh, of CoStar, so you know he can put himself in that position. It's incredible. Uh, a lot of people see him. He said, you know, I'm not the boogeyman, but a lot of people do see him as the boogeyman coming in with Homes.com and and uh, you know their push into residential. A lot of the CEOs, how do you view CoStar coming into residential specifically with Homes.com right now? I think what most people don't understand is CoStar started in residential. They only picture them as commercial, uh, but they, they, they were residential and then went in a much bigger way over time in grabbing apartments.com and moving that into a consumer uh, experience type of site that helped drive it to be number one in that rental space. And so I have mad respect for CoStar and for Andy himself and his leadership. There's always a boogeyman, and I, I said it this morning on stage. If there's not one, we'll make one up. It's just how it is. I welcome competitors because if we didn't have uh, competitors throughout the space, you know, competitors make you better. It sounds cliche, but yeah, it absolutely keeps you on your toes. Uh, I think what people are, are interested in is when a large company with a big footprint and a big checkbook come into the space, it's what are they going to do? And I thought he was pretty transparent today in aligning some of their thoughts around the opportunity within the industry, and we'll see what they do with it. They, they have the model and they've done it with all their companies, whether it's Lubnan or others, your listing, your lead, Zillow's playing the opposite game. Andy was not shy in his comments towards Zillow. He calls agents that are getting Zillow lead Zilltours. I mean, Zillow, you know, they got a brokerage license, so, you know, they're, they're kind of talking out of both sides of the mouth. We're not a broker, we're going through the agent. And, and um, I think the Zillow premier uh, product is the best in residential space right now to generate leads. And it's the hardest thing to do in residential sales is generate a lead who's willing to show up at a specific time and tour a property. Right. They're the best at it. But Andy was on the attack. I mean, he, he doesn't really talk too kindly about Zillow. I mean, the way you talk about your colleagues, I mean, that's not the same way your peers, you know, in residential brokerage space, not the same way he's talking about Zillow. How big is that war going to be, CoStar versus Zillow? Well, to the first comment, I think that's just people's personal styles. Uh, and you'll see I'm very competitive, want to win, 
we absolutely want to be number one in so many ways. Uh, we're number one in many ways in this industry, and we're not going to stop having that competitive spirit. But it's also just style-wise, I don't take pleasure at taking shots on stage at my competitor. So it's just a different style, I think, that, that we have. doesn't mean we're less competitive. Um, but what role are they going to play? You're right. The big thing you focused on today was uh, my listing, my lead, and accused others of my listing, our lead, or, or somebody else's lead. That term has been knocked around this industry for over a decade. And there's two sides to this. One is it appeals to listing agents because they say, that's, that's what I want to hear. I spent the time, I got the listing, that's my client, the signs in the yard, and yes, I want all the leads on that property come to me. The reality is, um, just a couple of years ago, statistically, only 6% of agents double-end a deal, and within the same brokerage, 17% of the time. And that's where the cooperation comes. And so I always find it interesting that I challenge the industry to say, when you put a listing, say, in your MLS service, you've made the decision to be part of that MLS that you are working in a spirit of compensation and cooperation, which means you're putting it out. You put the sign in the yard, you're telling everybody it's for sale, and the idea is, is there another agent that possibly has a buyer that I don't have that they can, in their sphere, that they can bring to the table and get the transaction done? But then it's interesting when we jump onto certain websites, we don't want that spirit. We want it all to direct back to us. You can't have it both ways. When you open that funnel of cooperation, you need to be willing to cooperate, whatever that looks like. Okay, so then people might say, well, Nick, what's the, why not? I should still get my own leads on, uh, on these other sites that come to me. There's a problem with that, though, which is consumer experience. One of the biggest complaints that consumers have with realtors, they don't get a response. Mm -hmm. In many sites, over 50% of the leads don't get a response. And so if you're the listing agent- Exclusive of listing agents. That's right. Yeah. And let's be honest, some listing agents don't even want buyers. Right. They have built their, they don't want to run the gas in the car and spend the weekends. I've seen a lot of really good listing agents. They work Monday through Friday, they list homes, and they just want other people to bring buyers. And so- there's there's an issue with that that I think is talking out of both sides, which is what do you do with leads that go to the listing agent, my listing, my lead, that either they don't want it or don't respond. It's not a good consumer experience. And so you can't have both scenarios. Now, I, I agree with you on the consumer experience, and it's what Zillow talks about all the time. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out because neither Zillow with their Amazon-like consumer experience or CoStar has actually solved the problem. They're at extreme sides of the problem, and the answer's probably somewhere in the middle, and whoever figures that out probably win that battle. But you're right about listing agents. You know, number one, I think he might still be number one uh, solo agent at REMAX, Jordan Cohen. He was number one worldwide again this year. Number one worldwide again. He just wrote a book, by the way. I know. So I, I had the pleasure of pre-reading it. You did. It's, it'll come out in June. Right. Which this will be up before June. We'll do the pre-sale for Jordan down below. It's fantastic. I think it will be, I, I said this to Jordan, I, I believe this. I really do. It's going to be a blueprint for listing agents for decades into the future. It's, okay. it's that good. But Jordan would be one of those agents that, might not necessarily want every single buyer lead that comes Coming off the direction, internet. depending on where it's located and, and all of that. He works with buyers, but he is all about obtaining listings. And to get that great consumer experience that's interested in some of those listings, 
there's huge cooperation in that and being able to get those leads into a position that they're answered in a timely fashion. And that is actually where Zillow's kind of stepped up on that speed to lead probably better than anybody else. And making sure if you have a hot consumer that wants answers. But then you hear people say, well, it doesn't serve them well if that lead goes into the hands of someone that doesn't know the listing. You'll hear listing agents yeah. all the time. And I was one, I'm still a broker today that, well, I know the listing the best, so they should come to me. I also don't think that argument holds true that that means that you're the best agent for that consumer. Whether you're a buyer or seller, connecting with your agent and having the relationship is key to how successful you're going to work. And so you may have a listing agent that you just don't see eye to eye with, but maybe I go and use you and we just connect Yeah. and I trust you. You're my trusted advisor. Well, just because you don't know the, car the carpet's green and the tile's yellow and you've never been in that house doesn't make you not a good agent. That's right. Because I don't believe agents sell houses. They sell getting people into houses. Mm -hmm. And so when you think of the service level that you provide me, you as my buyer's agent, and I trust you, I'm in, Byron, we're doing this. All of a sudden, I don't care that you don't know what the foundation looks like or the backyard. We'll go figure that out together. Uh, and so I don't think that argument holds true when you start tearing some of this down. But I want to go back to the lead thing that I think is interesting. Just over 10 years ago, there were four and a half million transactions in the U.S. They were right about four and a half million leads. Now there are well over 250 million leads that are flying around on an annual basis. And Andy said something. He said, there's a lot of bad leads out there. Well, they're bad leads because they're never going to turn into transactions. We still only have around four or five, maybe six million transactions. We have hundreds of millions of leads. This is where I think the next step in the industry, you ask where it's going. I don't think agents want more leads. Because I think a lead is one of 250 million. What I think they want more is a transaction-ready consumer. Mm -hmm. If I could give you 50 leads out of that 250 million, or I could give you five that will more likely be a buyer or seller this year, which would you choose? Most people are going to choose the five. And that's where you see tech and AI and all of the modern pieces of data, they're going to start coming together. And I believe in the next five years, we're going to be doing a much better job in this industry of saying this 249 million leads are not great right now. They might be in a couple of years. You can always incubate them. But what are the 5 million leads that we need to focus on now? And that's a transaction ready consumer. And that's where I see us going. I want to wrap up with two things. And off of that, one of the things we didn't get a chance to talk about, but I just want your quick bullet points on AI. And, and it's probably you know, in line with what you just said, right? Finding those transaction-ready consumers, sifting through the garbage <laughs> that a lot of agents are manually sifting through now or all the other things that agents manually do right now and spend a lot of money on. Spend a ton of money on. I mean, the tech stacks with teams across the industry is crazy. If you, if you put it up on a board and look at all the technology that team leaders myself being guilty with, with my Connecticut team, all of the different technology, all how that stack looks like, all the money going into it, and then can AI disrupt that? Can AI make that process easier? Can AI get rid of a lot of the administrative W-2 or contractor pay that team leaders and agents are outsourcing right now? What do you think is going to be the first? I, I think it's a given that it's happening, that these aren't NFTs, that this isn't Bitcoin, AI is taking over. Yeah. And it's happening fast. In residential real estate for agents and team leaders, what are gonna be the first couple shoes to drop? 
So we're going to see two things happen with AI. We're going to do the block. This is way too invasive. They're taking over the world and going to eat my children thing. And then we're, yeah, back to the boogeyman. Back to the boogeyman. It's, it is going to be between CoStar maybe doing something bigger in residential and AI. Those are going to be your... Andy Florence, your only hope is that AI is the bigger boogeyman. <laughs> there, you, there you go. Uh, but then the second thing that's happened is I think we're already seeing it is how can we integrate it in some of the stuff to make us more efficient? Let me give an analogy. Uh, e-signature. I think I talked about that maybe last year. It's been the biggest impact in our industry in the last 10 years. And Spencer Raskoff would agree. I absolutely think that, that it's not sexy, uh, but I don't have to drive 45 minutes to get a price change signed yeah. and it's a good consumer experience. Well, look at how more efficient it's made agents and how much a better of experience it's for buyers and sellers. Okay, so take that down to AI. You're going to start to see within some of these tools, most people aren't great writers. They, I used to hate it. Come on, let's admit it. I used to hate writing listing descriptions. The four-bedroom, three-colossal bath with this. I mean, come on, I'm not an author. Uh, I could do it to get the job done. But there's going to be things and efficiencies that AI is going to provide. And that's just such a small example uh, of how you may never have to do that again. You just go and click and based on all of the public data available on a property, you're going to say, uh, write luxury description for this property or write simple uh, description. People are using it that. For that, they're finding what are a 10-week marketing plan on social media because agents struggle with content. What do I say? Well, I'll do a 10-week TikTok campaign and make it something that has substance. They need ideas on that. So if you find the right ways that it works for your business, I think it's going to be a positive, and it'll be integrated into all of your team tools uh, to make you and your team more efficient. And with every one of these tech, there's always going to be some level of it's not, it's not correct or it's inaccurate or how are we going to use it for non-legit activities. I mean, there will always be someone out there that tries to hack or use it in capacity. But I think people have to look at it and say, how can it be used for good? Because this is just an evolution. Just because we didn't, we weren't born with it. Um, we're, 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 um, we've got to get used to it and evolve in it and understand it. Yeah, we weren't born with the cell phones and everybody's doing their business on a, on a mobile device now. And so it's going to be similar to that type of a breakthrough where you're using it every single day. It's just a matter of, are you going to be the last person adopting it or are you going to get out and ahead? Of course, we've got an ebook. Uh, we'll link that down below, Bobby. Just make a note of that uh, on some of the things you could use. With and let's say, if you go back in history, by the way, when it comes to tech, there's, I think AI is going to be huge, absolutely huge. huge. But usually tech that size only happens once every 20 years. Yeah. And we're, we're due for it. com 20 years ago and now mobile devices, bam. And then, yeah. so if you think about it, there's a lot of little things in between that use those as anchors. Yes. So we are ready for a big one. And I think this is it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. All right. Final thought. Like I'm not even here. This is a, I know this is not even, uh, this is the only reason we can get you, guys like Nick. You have typed everything for me to say. <laughs> exactly. Nick is so polished. Uh, corporate Remax CEO that you could convince me that this is AI. No. That's what I should have said on stage this morning. Folks, Nick is not here. This is AI sitting. You're actually, and I, I, I'll say it again, you're the most authentic CEO right now because you are willing to say things, you know, you, you keep it real. Okay. Let's just let's stick with that. So Remax, 50 years in, 
let's not go with what are the next 50 years look like, but what are the next five look like for Remax? The next five years, we're around 145,000 agents in over 110 countries. We can be 200,000 agents to continue that growth, and but maintaining our foundation. I, people always say, uh, you know, what's the big new thing? Well, I have to think about what are the things that we've accomplished and we've earned those badges that we want to keep. Want to be the number one in production per agent. Nobody in the world sells more real estate than Remax. Uh, double the average experience. The average agent has over 15 years experience. The average non has seven, it's half. Uh, the average Remax agent outsells the competition two to one. Uh, last year was 13.6 deals on average, and the industry's uh, 6.2. I see four to six, so 6.2 is being generous. Yeah, and and so those badges that have been built for decades, sometimes it's easier to get them than it is to keep them. Because when you're number three or four in the market, you maybe have one or two people that have your eye on you, and they might be pulling at your at your ankles to pull you down. But when you become number one in anything, number one in your market, number one at average experience, number one in per-person productivity, number one in brand name awareness, whatever like those badges we've received, you don't just have one or two people with your eyes on on you. You have everybody pulling at your ankles to pull you out of that slot. Uh, and so not only do I think we have growth in the future to drive that market share, but we want to continue to be loud and proud about the badges that our, our agents have earned and make sure that we keep those. And that takes sometimes just as much, if not more work. Oh, we'll, we'll all be watching. You've earned the right to lead Remax into this next fifty-year chapter. As I'm, I'm sure you guys will hit 150. Years. Tell me, I don't have to. You, not you, but you're, you're gonna you're gonna lead the the initial charge here, Nick. And I, I think you're the right guy for the job. If Thanks. you if this is your first introduction to Nick Bailey, definitely go back and check out the podcast we did last year. That was just as fascinating as this one. And make sure that you follow Nick on all of his social channels. We'll put those down below. You are somebody to be watching, and I'm a huge fan of yours. Thank you for doing this again. Thanks. Always great to be here.